this morning's scripture reading is John three sixteen, And it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You may be seated. Good morning. You know, Jim always thinks the song leader, and I, I thank you too, Jonathan, he always talks about how good it sounds down here, and it does. When you come down to this front down here, all of you lifting up your voices to praise God, it sounds so wonderful. Stan, I thank you very much for that very heartfelt uh, prayer. Thank you very much for that. Thank the men that waited on the table. It's good that we're all here today. Let me say this this morning from the pulpit, and I mean it in the most sincere way. Happy New Year. 2017, aren't we blessed to be here this morning? We've been given this day, a new year, a new a new chance. My wife said something this morning. I mentioned it in class. I want to mention it again. She said, sweetheart, this morning, she said, this slate is wide open. It's clean, and we can write anything we want to in there for the year, and I like that. I love second chances. I always have. I love the new years. I love this time of year. It is a, a new start. If you didn't get things right last year, get them right this year. As long as we have a year to live and, and afforded the time, all we got to do is do it. Well, when I think about New Year's, you know, we hear things over the years as we grow older. And certain things kind of, you know, resonate with us, things that we hear. It's New Year's, and I think about New Year's resolutions, and I'm reminded in 1994, there was an iconic movie that came out, and it was called Forrest Gump. And I'll bet you 80 or 90% of you in this room have seen that movie. And I'm not a real big movie goer, but I hear things in movies or plays and stuff that stand out with me. And there was a quote in there that uh, it stuck with me. And that was 20-some-odd years ago, but it stuck with me. I remember it. But let me set the context, if I may. They're in a New Year's Eve party, and... Uh, Forrest Gump is played by Tom Hanks, and he's, uh, he's mentally handicapped. And his uh, drill sergeant, Lieutenant Dan, has uh, had both his legs blown off in, in Vietnam, and he saved him. Forrest saved him. And, and he's in a, to say he's in a state of uh, the blues is, would be an understatement. He's, uh, they're at this party, and two women... Uh, dubious character come up to them there's the four of them you know and it's just a hodgepodge of people and what's going on with them physically and mentally and you know uh, uh, Gary Sinise plays this Dan Lieutenant Dan his legs are missing and and uh, he's in a fog of depression and uh, hopeless of a future and nothing good to say about the promise of a new year and one of these uh, ladies of the night makes a comment, you know, and there she is stained in sin, you know, nothing really hopeful for her, but she makes this comment. And it resonated with me then, and it has ever since. And I believe it too. Doesn't matter where we're at in life. She says, I love the new year because everybody gets a second chance. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about second chances because how many will we get? But today, today, this morning, we have a second chance, a new year, a new slate. What are we going to do with it? 
Uh, and I want to start in the Old Testament because if ever, anyone ever got one, it was the children of Israel. They have been in slavery and bondage for 400 years. Now, I can say this with all accuracy. No one in this room, no one in this room's parents was ever a slave. We can't relate to slavery firsthand. We have no idea. We can empathize, sympathize with people that we read about in the world or people in the past that were slaves, but it's a terrible thing because you don't own yourself. You don't, uh, your destiny is not your own. The pursuit of happiness is not your pursuit. You're owned, your property, you're like livestock, and you're told when to rise and when to go to bed, what to eat and what to do. And you lose all your liberation. There's nothing there. You are property of some other being or entity, and we don't understand that. They were property of a world power, and it was Egypt. And here's another thing. They've been there for four centuries, 400 years they've been slaves. And we read in Exodus 12, it's about to change. God's fixing to do something. He's already brought on nine plagues. And the, Egypt has suffered so bad, all of, all of Egypt's livestock, their crops, their health. The people have suffered greatly. But yet Pharaoh, and you know the story, his heart is so hard. He's so resistant to God's authority versus his own that he won't let them go. And so when we get to Exodus 12, we're going to see he's fixing to let them go. Because God's fixing to bring a plague on him that he has no other choice. But I want you to understand something. There's 300 million people in this country right now. If the firstborn of, of America all died, how many millions would it be? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I've done little things in class where you teach a class and say, if you would, raise your hand if you were the firstborn in your family or if your parents were the firstborn in their family. And you realize it wipes out about half the room. God's fixing to bring a tenth plague on Egypt, and he's going to kill the firstborn. And they're going to let them go. And they're going to walk out of there never to return again. And God wants them to remember this. He wants to remember at what cost that this is going to come for their liberation, for their freedom. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll start reading. We'll read the first uh, 1 through 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. They were to change their whole calendar. This is a significant event. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. And, it sh and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor Next to his house, take it, take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's needs, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roast it in the fire with the unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all in water, but roast it in the fire, its heads and legs and its entrails. 
You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. He says, when this plague is complete, they will let you go. I want you to eat this in haste because you're leaving and you will never, ever come back to this place. This must have seemed impossible to them after 400 years of slavery. Tomorrow you're leaving this place and you're leaving it forever. But it came at a cost. It came at a great cost because, keep this in mind, God created the Egyptians too. He created their livestock. He blessed them with rain. Uh, Those were people there that he created in his own image. And he gave them a soul, just like he gave you and me, just like he gave those Israelites. And they were going to be destroyed because of their wickedness. But he told them, he said, you change your schedule. You change your calendars. You change your weeks and your days. And you remember this. This is a very significant event that I'm doing for you on your behalf, for your sake, because I love you and I want you to be my people. This must have been so um, remarkable to them because they were going to, for the first time, become a nation, not a nation in slavery, but a free nation, and a free nation that could freely choose to serve their God. And he instructs them that he wants this to be forevermore before their face and to remember what they did and they were to change everything and start over at this date let's look at some new testament examples of a second chance the classic is found in luke 15 if you would turn there most classic of all there's a lot going on there that i could preach for a month of sundays on this on this prodigal and every every sunday would be different so we'll look at it from the aspect of the lesson today Let's just read. We'll read in Luke 15, and we'll start in verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he delivered the, he divided them uh, to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together... And journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions in prodigal living. But when he had spent all, all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many 
of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to make merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things meant? And he said, Your brother has come because he has received him safe. He's received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of your, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he, said, son, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead, and he's alive. And he was lost, and he's found. Well, what a profound story. We read it many times, heard many sermons on it, the prodigal. You know, do you ever see yourself in the prodigal? You know, a lot of people see themselves as the brother. You know, I've never broke the rules. I've always done the right thing. Where's my party? I'm not that brother. I see, I see myself in the other brother, and I don't know how you see yourself. But I see him like this. He had lost his way. He had left what he knew. He got caught up in a snowball, and it took him to rock bottom. And we could go on and on, but what I love about this story, this is one of the great things of this story. That young man, steeped in sin, had done a terrible thing, wasted his father's inheritance, wasted his life on what righteous living. You know what most of the world does? You know really what most of the world does? It says, I made my bed. I guess I'm going to lay in it. For eternity. It doesn't have to be that way. What's wrong with saying I made my bed and I'm getting out of it. I made a mistake and I'm changing. You know what I love about this guy? He devised a plan. And it was a good plan. It turned out better than he ever dreamed it would be. I'm sitting here and I can't even have the hog food. And then a light went off in his head. And he said, I'm going to go back to my father because he's a loving father. And I'm going to go back to him. And I'm going to say, I'm not worthy because I'm not. I'm not worthy to be your son. But would you make me a servant? My father is loving 
and compassionate. And it must have sounded feasible and doable to him because he set off on that journey. And I could go on and on. We could have a, ten sermons about the father. We could have five sermons about the other brother. I mean, you've heard it a hundred different ways. All of them good. But for this morning, let's just stay on this point. That boy, that man, that prodigal, he devised a plan, and it worked. He said, I'm going back. I'm getting out of this bed that I made. I'm not lying in this the rest of my life. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go back to my, brother, my father, and I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to beg for forgiveness, and I'm going to change my life. And it turned out better than he could ever imagine. He wasn't restored partially. He was restored fully. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants to do with us. Another biblical example. John Mark. Mark. We read about him in Acts 13. We read that Paul and Barnabas were commissioned in the first missionary journey, as were some other men that are mentioned there in Acts 13. John Mark, nephew of Barnabas, being one of those men. And uh, they set out to do a multi-town, multi-circular missionary journey. And Mark ran out on them. He forsook them. He got to Pamphylia and he went no more. He loaded up and he went back home. His mother had a nice house in Jerusalem and he went back to it, I suppose. He ran out on them. Why did he do it? I don't know. We could speculate the rest of the morning. Uh, they were on a, uh, a mission. They, if you read there in uh, Acts 11, this is in Acts 13, I'm talking about, but in Acts 11, they were on a Gentile preaching mission. Prior to that time, prior to Acts 10, only the Jews, the lost house of Israel, had been preached to. There was prejudice in those days like there's prejudice today. And that Jew-Greek thing was pretty tough, pretty tough uh, line to cross. Was that it? I don't know. You know, prior to Paul becoming an apostle, he was a persecutor of the church. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest people there, and he's converted on the road. A great light, he's blinded. We know that story. This is after that fact. So we know that there's a lot of persecution going on in the church. Was that it? I don't know. But something happened on that journey. And Mark ran out. And there's no getting around it. He forsook him and he went back. You know, what did the Lord say in Luke? I think it's, uh, I think it's Luke 19. Don't put your hands on the plow. Talking about the kingdom. Don't put your hands on the plow and then look back because you're not what? You're not worthy of the kingdom if you do this. Did he do this? Yes, he did. He forsook them. He ran out on them. I wish I could say it different, but that's what happened. And he caused problems. He caused problems with some godly people, too. And we can see these things. Turn with me to Acts 15. What I talked about happened in Acts 13. Let's look in Acts 15, starting in verse uh, 36. Therefore, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city. Now, they're going back to see those cities, the churches they established, that Mark had run out of. Remember, he didn't go with them to establish. He went so far, and then he ran back. Now they're going to go back and see all those cities. 
where they had established the church. In verse 37, now Barnabas was determined, listen to that word there, that's a strong word, he was determined to take with them John called Mark. Well, they say blood's thicker than water, this is his uh, nephew. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Catch that. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You know what we would say in modern terms? They had a falling out. They had a riff. They had an unreconcilable argument at the time. Godly men, an apostle, Barnabas, a man of great encouragement. Because of what Mark had done, Paul would uh, apparently not get over it, not get over it. In these verses, we see the humanity of Paul and Mark, don't we? Mark, uh, we see his timidity, his fears, his non-commitment. But also in Paul, we see his lack of charity. Perhaps he felt justified. Paul was a lot of things, wasn't he? But wishy-washy wouldn't describe Paul, and he was intolerant toward it. He did not uh, go for the fact that Mark had run out. And so he was unbending about it, too. And so they did not, they did not resolve this. It was not resolved at this point. But what's the old saying? An ill wind blows no one any good. Here we see how they were once one unit. And the good that came out of this terrible thing was how they became two units. We have Paul and Mark going one way. And, I mean, uh, Barnabas and Mark one way and Paul and Silas going the other way. All doing the will of God. So that was good. But thanks to God, in his holy word, we see a second chance here. A second chance that was not only afforded, but a second chance. Listen to this. A second chance that was taken advantage of. And that's what I'm, that's the conclusion I'm, I'm leading to this morning. We have a second chance. We have a second chance. Do we want to take advantage of it? This man did. We see in Colossians 4.10, we read Paul's instructions there concerning Mark. He said, Aristocracy, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. You see how they had bridged that uh, gap? In Philemon, verse 24 in that one chapter book, Paul sends his greeting to the household of Philemon. And in, he, in that, he includes Mark in his greeting. And then finally, after many years, we see an aged Apostle Paul in his statement that he makes in 2 Timothy 4, 11. He said, only Luke is with me now. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for my ministry. Mark would go on to pen the gospel of Mark. He got a second chance, and he took advantage of it. Thank God he did. The book of Mark is one of the richest gospels you'll ever read, one of the oldest ever written.
Aren't you glad they resolved that? Aren't you glad they took uh, advantage of a second chance that was afforded them? You know, it's always there as long as we're alive, as long as we're mentally able to perceive it and do something about it. Let's look at another New Testament example of a second chance. No, it's a great example too. Onesimus. His word, his, his name is a, a Greek name, Onesimus. You know what it means? Useful, profitable. But he was anything but to his master. He was also, he was no doubt sully, bad attitude, because he stole from a Christian master. And he took it on the road. He stole a grub stake from Philemon and he took it on the road. And that was punishable by death. He deserved death. And you know, in a, in a day and age when people were, had, were master and slaves, they had that relationship very understood in those days. It's lost in, in today in our, uh, in our uh, society, thank goodness. But he did a wicked thing. He stole from a Christian master and he left and he ran away. Had he been caught, had the dogs got him, he would have been killed. But a second chance came to this man like no other man's second chance and he was given a second chance in two ways first of all he ran on to Paul who was a prisoner in Rome and I've often wondered how did they how did their paths cross and it probably happened like this you know maybe Paul we know is a prisoner Onesimus comes in contact with Paul probably some petty theft or something you know he couldn't he couldn't probably work he didn't have a work visa, did he? He was a runaway slave. Probably some petty theft got him in prison. But anyway, don't know, just speculating on that. But anyway, he met Paul, who was a prisoner. And Paul beget him in the bonds of, of Christianity, in the bonds of Christ. He became a Christian. What a second chance in life. A condemned, doomed slave. And he runs on to the apostle Paul in prison. And he's converted. Paul says he became like a son to me. But Paul being the man that he is, and no doubt Onesimus being the man that he had become, he wouldn't do for Paul to keep him, but that he might send him back to Philemon with an explanation. You've, you've, seen the old, you've heard the old tale. You might have participated in it as a child. You might have had this happen with your child, or you might have heard it with someone and a child, but it's an old story. The child goes in the store and he steals a piece of candy, and the mama or the dad or the papa says, no, we're going back in, we're going to give it to the teller, we're going to own up to what we do, because it's a lesson for the child, right? You go in there, you say you're sorry, you give your nickel piece of candy back, and you say you'll never do it again. It's a lesson learned, right? Paul wants this man to go back to his master and reconcile. He wants this second chance to even be better. He wants Philemon to forgive him, and he wants him to be restored, not as a slave, but even better, as a brother. And so he sets out to do that. And um, let's read verses, uh, let me get there, Philemon. Let's read verses 10 through 21. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you but is now profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back, you therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me 
in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that what you will do even more than I say. You know, I've read this many times. And I choose to believe that Philemon did that and even more. What a second chance. Well, we've looked this morning in the Old Testament and the New about second chances. You know, we've needed one ever since we blew the first one in the Garden of Eden. Blown completely. Eternal life. An eternal garden. Something that we can all picture in our mind. What must it have looked like? Had four rivers running through it. Trees that bloomed every season. Trees of good eating. Trees of everything. Only one that they were told to leave alone. And he went right to it. And we've been needing second chances ever since that time. We looked at Israel, 400 years of slavery, liberated at the cost of a great nation. But they received their second chance. We looked at the prodigal, a wasted life, riotous living, a complete departure from the path that he knew. But this young man devised a plan It came to fruition, and it worked out better than he ever could imagine, completely restored. We've looked at John Mark. He started off good. He had good connections. We read that the church met in his mother's house in Jerusalem. He was nephew to a great encourager, Barnabas. And if you really study, it looks and appears to me that he was uh, a kin, a cousin to even the apostle Peter. Very connected. Probably came from some affluence and wealth. And what did he do? Turned his back. Turned his back. Out of fear, intimidation, I don't know, but he left. But he was restored. He took advantage of the second chance. And we owe him and God very much for the wonderful gospel that he penned. We looked at Onesimus. He certainly had not lived up to his namesake. He had fallen off expectations on every level. But he was given a second chance, twofold, one of redemption, one of salvation, and then one a chance to be restored back to his loving Christian master. And I'm confident that happened. What is your New Year resolution? I want to quote as that woman in that movie did, I love the New Year because everybody gets a second chance. What are you going to do this morning about yours?
you have one too. You know, if you're not a Christian this morning, you've not taken advantage of your second chance. A second chance to have eternal peace. A peace that passes all understanding. How would you like to know that you can walk in the light as he's in the light and have fellowship with God every day of your life? A promise of an eternal home kept for you, made for you in heaven. You can do it this morning by taking advantage of this choice. We looked at these men. They saw a second chance. They saw how they had messed up. And they went for it. They took advantage of it. Would you? You know, Pharaoh wouldn't. He would say he would. He'd say, I'm going to let the people go. I'll let the people go. And as soon as the words would come out of his mouth, he'd go back and he'd let his heart get hard again. And it just kept getting harder, harder and harder till he destroyed all that was under his care because of his stubbornness and because of his hard heart. You know... If we don't take advantage of this second chance today, will we this year? Will we in our life? When will you? What day will you choose to take advantage? Will it be too late then when you decide to do that? There's no better day than today, especially when it comes to your soul, especially when it comes to redemption. Matthew 10.32 says that if we will confess his name before men, you'll come down this morning and turn and look at these people that love you. And have been waiting for you to say these words. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Luke 13, 3 says if we don't repent, we'll likewise perish. We must repent of our sin. We're all called to do that. And we have innately in us, we know that we need to do that. We know what sin is. And we know we need to depart from that and change those things. And, uh, and live in, in this life away from sin. All that we can. We need to repent of it. And then Romans 6, 4 through 6 says that if we're buried with him in baptism, we rise up and we come. And it's a new walk of life. It's a second chance. Things have changed. We have a new, a new lease on life. Have you ever thought about why won't people take advantage of that? Steeped in sin, they know their life's miserable, and it's a new day. It's a new change. You can, and it's in your power to do something about it. And they won't. And I don't understand it. And they won't. And I don't understand it, do you? Well, look to yourself this morning. Do you need a second chance? Do you need to take advantage of it? It's afforded you today. It's a new slate, brethren. This year hasn't been written this year. What will you write on your slate about you? If we can help you in any way this morning, we're here to do that. We want to do that. Come together as we stand and sing.